Welcome to the Werewolf Den, where we do a deep dive into the core concepts and principles behind White Wolf's Werewolf the Apocalypse. I'm Amelin. And I am Ryan. Welcome back! So, we're gonna go ahead now and acknowledge that H does actually become before I in the alphabet. Yes, we have successfully achieved kindergarten level status in understanding the alphabet. Which brings us back to the Shadow Lords. The first thing I want to discuss is that when it comes to the Shadow Lords, we have tried and ultimately failed to find a thesis statement for what this tribe is. Last time when we looked at the Silent Striders, original writers started off with what we thought was a very bad idea. And as we're analyzing and studying that tribe, we found that there was a lot of good stuff that we could still work with. And so we, you know, kind of got rid of the bad, the followers of Set and all that, and instituted our own understanding of what the thesis of this tribe is. And based on feedback, glad to hear a lot of people really liked that. So we're pretty proud of that episode. And we wanted to carry that forward as we went back in the alphabet to the Shadow Lords. The problem is, we have been unable to identify that thesis statement. There are aspects of the tribe that we can immediately identify and say, yeah, that's kind of a Shadow Lord thing. But when we're trying to paint the picture of what this tribe is, we fail. We understand the paints and the different colors and brushes that you use to paint a Shadow Lord, but we simply cannot Bob Ross this. So, it sucks to say, but we don't have a thesis statement for what this tribe is. The thing that we can bring to the table that we do feel is useful for anybody that is looking to play a Shadow Lord is we are going to discuss the meaty pieces that we find that you can definitely sink your teeth into when it got, when it comes to Shadow Lord lore. And we can discuss the player types, tropes, and failings that we very frequently come across when people play this tribe. And that's what we are going to bring to the table for this particular one. Sorry, no deep philosophical theme on this one, sadly, but... We just couldn't find it. But, yeah, there's still stuff to talk about this, so we'll get right into it. I want to open up by recounting an anecdote I have from when I worked in retail. As I'm sure most people who've worked in retail understand, if you're a grunt on the ground, things should happen, and management doesn't always do that stuff. I worked in logistics. And one of the things that management would do is they would cut payroll in logistics in order to, you know, at the end of the month, make payroll look good to impress their superiors. But with logistics, if you're working in a store, this is the the incoming goods that you are processing and pushing to the sales floor or stocking in the back room so that people can buy them, right? This is a stupid thing to cut payroll on. It is counterproductive. Management wasn't focused on you know, the operations of the store. They were looking at how many hours of payroll did we use, and when the supervisors for them come through and look over the books, they're going to be angry or satisfied. A Shadow Lord is someone who would be in this situation and understand that the Ivory Tower doesn't have the best interests at heart. That they see how things are operating and want to fix it within the system. So, like with the Bonars, who are just going to 
disregard the system and institute their own, the Shadow Lords are going to work within the status quo. Whatever political system is operating, they're going to use that to amass power and fix it themselves. A good character that we were discussing kind of comes up within fiction is uh, Mustang from Full Metal Alchemist. Someone who has seen that the status quo is not all right. He's experienced war crimes and failures of upper management and leadership. And so he is trying to rise through the ranks in order to correct these mistakes. And so this is an example of a Shadow Lord behavior. One of the other things I know you've railed against is that this tribe is one of character traits without any particular cementing bedrock. More or less, yeah. So... When you read into the books, you find a whole lot discussing notions of dominance versus submission, discussing ruling by fear as opposed to ruling by respect or things like that. And these are philosophical discussions, but they're not a philosophical idea, if you can understand what I'm meaning with that. They're the sort of things that lead to this notion of a personality trait known as Machiavellianism. And Machiavellianism, when you actually read about this concept from even its original source author, it's not a philosophy when you actually dig your teeth into it. It's a thought process more than it is a philosophy. And like Machiavelli was selling his idea of the prince to other would-be princes. He was essentially, he, he didn't believe these ideas, but he understood that the market for these ideas was there. And he was saying what the people who were paying him to write wanted to hear. Things like it is, you know, easier to be feared than loved, but it's better to be loved than feared. Yeah, this idea of these Machiavellian concepts sound cool, and, and, you know, we think this is a very much so a rule of cool kind of thing. But when you really dig into it, it kind of seems shallow. The old books, right off the bat, state that the Shadow Lord mentality is one of dominance and submission. That in the world you have beasts, and those beasts are ruled by men. And the men are ruled by the Garu. And the Shadow Lord rule over the Garu. That you are either dominating, or you are submitting to dominance. And... Any wild lupus can tell you right off the bat that a pack is one of camaraderie and not tyranny. These ideas just seem far too black and white. On top of that, not only are they just very black and white and lacking in nuance, but they're also inherently antagonistic towards your player base. And there is room for PvP in games. We'll talk about that later in the episode. Mm -hmm. But as a rule of general thumb, and we discussed this with our Metis analogy back in our Breeds episode, if your character is dependent upon the incompetence of others, you have a bad character. Yeah, it can make a great backstory, right? It's a great idea for, you know, the experience you had as a cub leading up to your rite of passage, that you experienced these things. And so you have this kinship with the ideology of the Shadow Lords. But if you are creating this character expecting to bump into incompetence and to manipulate 
other players and NPCs from the shadows, then this is too much of an external focus that lacks any internal rigor. And so we want to explore those concepts of internal rigor so that you have something solid to stand on when other people are, dare I say, doing things right and putting in effort. One of the best places that we have to start is, surprise, surprise, the tribe totem. Because when you get into the tribe totem of the Shadow Lords, this, I feel like, is the tribe's absolute greatest strength. This totem has more personality, probably, than really any of the other totems. Yeah. Grandfather Thunder is, even within the books, considered to be sort of a grade above the other totem spirits. There's Gaia and Luna and the other Celestines up at the top, but then sort of right in that same circle is also Grandfather Thunder. And then you have all the other totem spirits beneath them. And so you've got this figure that is definitely looming larger than all the others around. And with this comes a lot of different ideas and concepts that make him, like you said, a personality. Grandfather Thunder isn't a concept or a trope. It is certainly a personality. And this is both incredibly helpful and inspiring and also, like can be a little bit limiting and restrictive when you think about it. When you are dealing with all of the other tribes, when we brought up our big beef with a lot of the tropes of glasswalkers, one of the things we brought up was the glasswalkers totem is cockroach. Nothing about cockroach screams, I know how to use computers. Mm -hmm. Cockroaches are adaptive. What is Grandfather Thunder then? Because Grandfather Thunder isn't a symbol. Grandfather Thunder is a personality. When you go back into the actual thing, and I really wish that the original writers were better about emphasizing the source material for Grandfather Thunder, because I have come across people, including myself for a very long time, who just kind of thought that Grandfather Thunder was just a reskinned version of Odin, that they just threw in a couple of extra things, particularly when it came to the Storm Crows. But no, when you actually research into it, you can find Lenape folklore, where Grandfather Thunder is an actual personality, is an actual folklore figure mm -hmm. within their culture. And when you read about the Lenape version of Grandfather Thunder, it is almost word for word the way that the books describe Grandfather Thunder. Yeah. And again, it leads into that, you know, we've often railed against the singular culture, you know, problem in Werewolf. But with Grandfather Thunder, you have a figure that crops up in all of these different cultures and folklore tales. And so it further emphasizes that idea that Grandfather Thunder is bigger than the others, right? It's not just Fenrir, who is clearly a Norse figure. No, Grandfather Thunder pops up here and also over here and there as well and in all these different places and it's it's not a, oh, this seems kind of like Grandfather Thunder. In the Lenape folklore, the English translation is Grandfather Thunder. So, yeah, it really builds into this larger-than-life figure that Grandfather Thunder embodies. And when you were dealing with Grandfather Thunder... The things that you come to learn is within his folklore, you find out that him and Grandmother Moon were more or less the kind of creators, co-parents, 
deal of the first people of the world. And as those people receded away, the people forgot about Grandfather Thunder, but continued to revere Grandmother Moon. And so Grandfather Thunder became incensed at the notion of being forgotten and began to crack and rage against the very sky itself so that people would remember him. And this is a cool concept. Ah, I love it. I love Grandfather Thunder in and of himself because it has this notion of I will be heard. But it also has this notion of waiting for that precise moment to just strike. Just quietly seeming with that rage until you eventually just crack down. Mm -hmm. And the books, to their credit, do a very good job of re-emphasizing the fact that the Shadow Lords are Gaian. The folktales of the Shadow Lords really emphasize the concept of this great storm where the rains themselves will flood the landscape and bring devastation. Lightning is going to strike and start fires and bring ruin to the area. But when that lightning strikes, it nourishes the soil. When those rains recede, they leave behind a lot of nourishment for the land. That there is a purpose to this destruction, and it is still Gaian. It is still on the side of good as the Garu, you know, sort of frame it. And the Shadow Lords in and of themselves, because they are attached to this personality, they very much see themselves then as ambassadors to this being as opposed to this concept. Yeah, if you try and summon Grandfather Thunder, you are not going to get Grandfather Thunder. Grandfather Thunder is too good to show up face-to-face -face with you. He'll send his Stormcrows and his other ambassadors to be his voice, and the Shadow Lords fill this role very intimately. With the other tribes, you don't see this. None of the totems are going to send out their tribe as sort of the voice for themselves. If you want to summon Falcon, Falcon will show up and talk to you if you're, you know, good enough, right? Grandfather Thunder, no. You are clearly beneath him. You cannot talk to him. He'll send his Stormcrows. They're good enough. He'll send his Shadow Lords. They're good enough. And so I think that this adds another really cool dynamic to the tribe, where there is a very intimate, but also sort of business-like relationship with their totem. At once, more intimate, but also less so. And I think that that's really cool to explore with the tribe. So we mentioned in the beginning, one of the big problems we have with this tribe are some of the negative tropes that come up. And so, you know, a lot of times in my LARP experiences, if I see a Shadow Lords, it's, it's a mustachio twirling, scheming backstabber. And we feel that this is one of the big piles of garbage that the original writers left. And I think here, just like with the Silent Striders we talked about last time, they were taking their experiences with Vampire the Masquerade and working from there. They had the Silver Fangs, who, let's be honest, they're not Ventru. They're not Ventru. We will uh, destroy this concept yes, in our true. next episode. But the writers, as Amelin says, saw them as Ventru. They're the ones in charge. Mm -hmm. And you need someone to butt heads with the Ventru, whether that be the Toreador and the Camarilla, or especially, I think, here the inspiration was with the La Sombra in the Sabbat, where they want power, but they're edgier and darker and have a way more badass discipline set, and so people are going to love them. And I feel this has happened with the Shadow Lords as well. 
And again, we want to get away from that reliance on an external focus to talk about the things that you can build with the character itself. One of the first things I want to start with is their history with the spirit of Bat. So within their history, the Shadow Lords were heavily entrenched in Spain. During the Age of Exploration, they were the first ones to come to Central and South America in the New World. And they're on their own here. The other tribes haven't gotten there yet. They were on the cutting edge of this. And so with the genocide that takes place in these areas, one of the casualties of this are the werebats, who we won't go into in great detail, but they were the voice of Gaia. And the Shadow Lords are singularly responsible for the extermination and genocide of the werebats. When the werebats are exterminated, Gaia lets out one final scream of anguish and agony, and she directs it exclusively at the Shadow Lords. And within their history, every single member of the tribe is overwhelmed with Gaia's agony and breaks down in tears over what they've done. And there's this understanding that they've made a mistake. And in very recent history in the tribe, one of their members has led an expedition to Malpheus to find the remnants of Bat, the totem spirit, and was able to communicate with this spirit and identify that one sliver of sanity still holding out against the worm. And now they've come back, which is enough of a miracle, but they've also restored Bat as a pack totem. There's an entire camp in the Shadow Lord's book dedicated to the notion of celebrating that Bat has returned to Gaian's fold. And yeah, so it's awesome in two ways. It's got this understanding that the tribe made a mistake and is working to make amends on that, right? This is proper leadership. This isn't, I am better than you and so you shall listen to me. This is, I made a calculated decision. It was a mistake and I'm trying to make amends. It's an element of growth, and it's great to see. The other cool thing about it is that the other tribes within the Garu Nation are kind of disturbed by this because Bat has been a worm spirit for hundreds of years. And so it has that Shadow Lord edginess, right? Where they're kind of playing with the dark side a bit here. But there's a lot of dynamic there to debate and discuss. And so we think that this is a very cool aspect of the tribe that I've never seen in any of the games that I've played. I've never seen a Shadow Lord have this aspect. They're always, you know, tying people to railroad tracks, twirling their mustaches and backstabbing their fellow players. So with that said, it's not to say that we haven't seen good players that are capable of playing Shadow Lords. The thing is... It's not the aspect of them being Shadow Lords that makes them good players, sadly. Because in a game setting, ultimately everyone's trying to have fun, right? And your veteran players, or players that kind of like to get screwed over and curb stomped, they might enjoy that aspect of, oh, you manipulated me, you got me so good, my character got killed and you're scheming, but I understand what was going on here, and they might enjoy that. And that's great. I've certainly had some experiences like that, but a lot of people don't feel that way. And so we do have an example of a Shadow Lord in a LARP that I ran, who still kind of came off as a Shadow Lord, but... Really, his operations were anything but. So, 
this character in question was the Sept Beta of the game. And he was a Shadow Lord, and he'd been in that position since pretty much the very beginning. And there was a Bonenar who felt that he was an asshole. And he was very good at playing an asshole without really bugging people because he had that cult of personality and that friendly nature outside of game and where people is, liked him. Yeah. And this is one of those things where a lot of players think that they have this aspect, but don't. And so you really have to do a lot of self-examination with this. And one of the things that you can tell if you have this personality aspect is what this player did was when such an antagonistic thing came up, when this Bonar player came and offered this challenge, they talked out of character mm -hmm. about how they wanted to handle this conflict. And this Shadow Lord player decided, you know what? Let's make this fun. Let's make this an event for the entire LARP to enjoy. And they both decided on fun things of all things, a burger eating contest. Yeah, there was a local restaurant that, you know, had one of those giant burgers. And if you can finish it in 30 minutes, then you get it for free and a t-shirt and all of that stuff. So the first thing here that the Channel Lord does is concede the option to dictate the terms of the challenge, which... According to normal Garu law, that's how it goes. The person who issues the challenge has to then allow the person they've challenged to dictate what that challenge is. And a Shadow Lord character would have exploited every weakness in their opponent and played to all of their own personal strengths. This burger-eating challenge is, first off, foregoing every single dot on your character sheet because it's you as a human player eating a burger versus another human eating another player. And the bone are... Eating another player. <laughs> or, yeah, cannibalism. Uh, eating another burger. And the person playing the Shadow Lord was about 5'8", medium build, whereas the person playing the bone are was over six feet tall. Average build for somebody of that height. But so. someone who could certainly out-eat the Shadow Lord here. So this is contrary to everything that the Shadow Lords are about. But... Like Amelin said, this is something that brought the game together. And we had an entire session of this LARP that was played at this restaurant. And it was great. Various people started forming like camps and cheering sections as they were doing this. People were taking bets. And yeah, if there was someone you didn't want to win, you're jeering them and you're trying to support your, you know, the person you're behind. It was an experience for the entire game. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, the Shadow Lord did win the challenge. So... You know, he towed that perfect line and still managed to come out on top. But it made the game better regardless of what happened. He put the game itself above his own personal interests and still managed to seem like a Shadow Lord at the same time. And we think that's the perfect balance to try and strike and maintain when you're playing a member of this tribe. Ultimately, what it really just kind of comes down to is you are playing a Shadow Lord as your character. You, the player, are not being a Shadow Lord. And that's where I feel like a lot of players get tripped up with this. You'll get this notion of people coming in and saying, well, it's what my character would do. And there's definitely been a lot of things railing online you can see where people are just like then you are playing a dick and mm -hmm. you playing a dick hurts the game and it's entirely possible to play the shadow lords in a supportive way 
Within their history, they spend a lot of time operating as sort of the seconds in command or the betas within the Garu nation. That the silver fangs are the ones up at the front, that people's knees tremble when they speak, and so you don't want to displace the emperor. But you're operating as the vizier. You're the one who's analyzing the situation and advising and counseling them. And a lot of the Shadow Lord gifts are excellent at exposing the weaknesses and flaws in others. And you can use this not to exploit and manipulate your fellow players, but to help them compete against the opposition. You can exploit the weaknesses of the opponents that your pack is facing. And so you can still have this sense of you're working on the same team, that you're not out here just to annoy and manipulate and betray everyone around you. You've still got some skin in the game here. And I think that's a cool way to direct the sort of stereotype of this tribe without ruining the game as a result. Mm-hmm. And so kind of what it really just comes down to is, I guess, our central thesis statement of with Shadow Lords is don't play them like an edgy teenager. But beyond that, there's a lot to sink your teeth into. You want to sink your teeth into them spiritually with Grandfather Thunder? There's a lot to work with there. Mm -hmm. You want to sink your teeth into them with politics? Be respectful of your fellow players, and there's a lot to work with there. Storytellers... When you have a player that comes up with a Shadow Lord, sit them down and be like, are you expecting PvP? Because PvP is kind of like that tabletop bandsaw that you have in your shop. You don't want to take it away from your good players because your good players can build excellent stories and build something wonderful with that bandsaw. But you don't want children playing with it either. And also make sure that this, if you're the storyteller, understand what the player may be wanting here. If you have a very railroad A to B to C storyline that you're going to run, there's probably not a lot of room for someone to manipulate the antagonists within the story and to take the plot in a way that you were not anticipating. So if you've got a sandbox type game that Amelin typically runs, that's going to work really well. But if you have a module or something that is very railroady and straightforward, a Shadow Lord is going to feel probably wasted here. And so be aware of the game style, the running style of the storyteller, where this plot's probably going to go, because Shadow Lord could be a great or a not-so-great fit for that. All right. So with that, I think we've covered more or less everything we wanted to cover. Hopefully, despite our haphazardness and our tardiness. <laughs> this was our third take. We've tried really hard on this episode. To be fair, one of our takes had our cat shakes trying to destroy one of our computers. Yeah, this was a cat-free episode. Interesting. <laughs> Maybe sometime later we'll actually record the mishap of shakes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll come up eventually anyway. <laughs> but yeah, next time we continue with our alphabetical process and get into the SIs, where we will talk about the often counterpoint of the Shadow Lords, the Silver Fangs. I feel like the sh Silver Fangs are so underrated. They really are. And we will definitely get into why I feel that next time. Mm -hmm. See you then. Welcome to the Pentex Break Room. 
Your hosts Ryan and Amelin may have tried to abandon that edgy grimdark attitude of the Shadow Lords, but here at Pentex, we fully endorse that line of thinking. Please, be sure to play any of your edgelord teenagers at any point in time during your game, should you so enjoy, despite what other players think. Your personal enjoyment trumps everyone else's. Now, unfortunately, it has come to our understanding that you have been consuming the media of two Gaian sympathizers. If you'd like to support them in their futile efforts, you can at Kofi. Just go to www.ko-fi.com forward slash werewolf den and buy them some coffees so they can continue to exist in this horrible capitalist hellscape we've created for them. Or don't and let them die! <laughs> Either way, they will be ingesting. Insert poison here. Have a good day.